0: This is the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. Welcome to the ATP Tennis Radio podcast wrapping up the Rogers Cup in Montreal where Rafael Nadal increased his record haul of Masters titles to championship points for a fifth Canadian Masters title for Rafael Nadal. From the far baseline. Serve right into the body. The backhand from Medvedev comes back in the middle. Nadal now hangs a forehand. Rafa slices a backhand. Medvedev at the baseline, lifts the backhand. It's long, and it's a master class for the now 35-time masters winner, Rafael Nadal. Emphatic. 6-3, 6-love over Daniel Medvedev. Who played so well all week, but was second best on this Sunday. And Rafael Nadal, for the first time since 2013, a champion in Montreal. That year he went on to win the U.S. Open. Who knows what awaits in the next couple of weeks? But Rafael Nadal, the first two-time Masters winner in 2019, as this goes along quite nicely with his win in Rome. But he really sent a message today.
1: Rafael, firstly, congratulations on your fifth Canadian Open. Extremely tough conditions today, that
2: first game, a long game, did that help you kind of get an understanding of his game? No, I know more or less this game. his game, no, but uh, of course the first game is not about understanding. No, it's about uh, he was playing very well during the whole week. Uh, so for me, it was important in the beginning that uh, he doesn't take advantage because always finals are a little bit more difficult for everyone. And uh, you know, I played a lot of, of these ones, so I, I know uh, beginnings can be tricky, against especially a great player like him. But especially when when a player like him is playing, when the big confidence like he, he was playing during the whole week. No, so I just tried to 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 hold at the beginning and uh lucky that that first game that i hold it and then i think i played a very solid match my best match of the week so far without a doubt
1: rafa you've had a lot of amazing accomplishments in, in your career did you know today is the first time in your career that you've defended a title outside of clay and what does that mean
2: to you well honestly nothing special not for me the most important thing is win the title again here you know more than defending or not defending no i think it's just a just a fact but of course uh it's so important to to be back on hard court and win again another big title uh there's confidence for what's going on but honestly today is just about enjoying this title that uh master thousand uh are so important so it's not uh, a tournament that you are able to win every day
0: that was rafael nadal after beating daniel medvedev 6-3, 6 love to win his fifth rogers cup crown everybody i'm brian clark i'm here with lucy all we've been together all week long in that final lucy it was uh an interesting start and then a somewhat surprising finish as to what we thought going into the match
3: it really was uh, i mean i have to say i mean i'm so impressed with rafael nadal i mean it sounds strange to say with all that he's achieved and i guess that he was just telling everyone that don't doubt him ever i mean uh, there was uh, there was a, a question mark in, in terms of going into into that match I, I felt that that medvedev had a real shot at it but you know, the way Nadal was able to step up, and, and I guess it's to be expected. He's, he's been here before. He knows you get to this stage and you've got to perform, and, and that's exactly what he did.
0: It was 6-3, six, 6-love. Six Nadal had to save a break point in the very first game of the match. It was a physical, brutal game. The first point of the match was 24 shots. There was another point in that game that was 32 shots, but once he saved that break point, his serve was never really
3: threatened his numbers looked great I mean going into the match he was behind if you looked at Medvedev's numbers compared to Nadal Medvedev was a a lot stronger in that department but it wasn't the case in the final and he served well he returned particularly well and uh, and he never let up I mean those two rallies that you talked about the two points those lengthy ones in the first game Medvedev actually won both of those but it didn't seem to phase Nadal he got through the tough moments he knew he had to and uh, and then he just rolled rolled through the match.
0: And that's maybe what's most impressive, just the tenacity. Rafael Nadal, he has been out here for a decade and a half now, but once he sinks his teeth in, and that's exactly what he did in the second set when he broke Medvedev to begin the second set, it was off to the races. He served up a bagel six love in just 29 minutes that finishing kick is maybe what was most impressive
3: that's nadal all over isn't it he is a hundred percent committed to winning every single point if he doesn't win it he's frustrated with himself but he lets it go and then moves on to the next one and there was just no let up i mean he has, he just raced away with it and i mean he was hitting the ball great, by by the end of the match compared to the rest of the week he, he was playing some excellent tennis.
0: And you say the end of the match compared to the rest of the week because that's the conundrum when we talk about Daniel Medvedev who played a fantastic week of tennis. He beat two top ten players in Dominic Team and then Karen Khachanov. He beat Katchinoff so he takes over as the Russian number one. But in his first Masters final it was an even start early on. and going into this match that's exactly what we expected we thought he had a pretty good chance to win
3: i don't think we were alone in that i think you know the way that he he played to get to the final okay there was the the second set when he was looking to close it out against Hashinov where he did show signs of nerves but he was still able to come through in straight sets didn't lose a set all the way through the tournament and you know he i mean he beat Karl Edmund lost three games, and and Edmund had had obviously uh, come through that opening match against Nick Kyrgios, so he was playing some decent tennis. But at Medvedev, I mean, I honestly thought he had a a real chance. I was watching the matches leading up to the final and thinking, well, how do you actually beat this guy? He's making very few mistakes he's serving well he's returning well he's able to turn points around if you come forward then he, he's hitting some clean passes i mean he w- was doing nothing wrong but today that was not the case for him and and to be honest as the match went on he started to look a little lost out there
4: he's won
0: more hardcore matches than anyone on the atp tour this year this was his first masters final so what do you take from this going on? Because this is back-to-back finals. He reached the final in Washington the week before, beaten by Nick Kyrgios. Do you look at the bulk of these two weeks, or is this final and the way it went and went quickly, is that going to linger moving forward?
3: Hopefully not for him, because there's so many positives to, to come away from the last couple of weeks, not just with how he did, but how he played, how he went about things, how he was mentally out in the matches where he was really tough he, he came through particularly in washington where he had some tougher battles and and here in uh, montreal it's, it's- matches were a lot easier with the scoreline but that was because he he looked so confident i think it was a big deal wasn't it getting through to his his first final and obviously the first time he met nadal so i mean you know you can watch as many matches as you like but it's a different story when you're you're up against an opponent that you've never played before and and i think i think those two factors he struggled with and for me you know and i think He's got a great relationship with his coach, and he seems a guy that he's, he's a thinker, but he's, he's still pretty level-headed. He can uh, look at the two weeks and then just say, right, wh- what, what can we learn from this? You know, it's a new experience for him, and, and sometimes you've got to go through those experiences to actually learn and take from them and, and actually find out what you need to do to do better next time.
0: It was actually at this tournament 2017 where he and his coach, Jill Savar, they kind of had a, a little heart-to-heart just about, okay, what kind of commitment does it take to really break through to the true top level? And Medvedev realized that he had not fully committed. He said he made those changes after that. And since the start of last year, he's won four titles. He's been one of the winningest players on tour. And we will see what the rest of the summer has for daniel medvedev so looking at this from the outside you see oh the top seed rafael nadal wins the final 6-3-6 love done and dusted the tournament but it was a lot more than that this week in montreal what were a couple of things that really jumped out at you from this rogers cup
3: well there was a lot wasn't there i mean we really did have some great matches and, and a number of different stories and i mean one match that i really enjoyed was the one yesterday the, the quarterfinal that the that was a little late to be played. It was played on semi-final day the the match with Gael Monfils against Batista Agut, seven six in the third that one and some of the tennis that Monfils was able to play and and as well Batista Agut, That that match I certainly enjoyed and uh, and in particular I, I had no clue going into that third set tiebreak. who was actually going to win and I just felt that if Monfils and he really needed to was, was able to produce some of the magic that we know he can then he could get through that one and he certainly did so I mean that was an enjoyable one and and being a Brit another match that I, I thought um fellow Brit Dan Evans played his opening match having come through the qualifying up against Nadal where he actually had set points and I thought he was pretty impressive in that match as well. There were the two sort of standout moments for me which I, I really enjoyed but there were many.
0: It's something that kind of caught my eye was just the Russians. We talked about Daniel Medvedev but Karen Hachinov, his beaten opponent in the semi-finals, first ever all-Russian op- uh, semi-final in a Masters event, but. Hatchinoff won some tough physical matches to get through to the semifinals he falls a step short but he's won a master's title before he did it last year at Paris so he is certainly well positioned heading towards the rest of the year but what a week it was in Montreal Lucy always a lot of fun telling everybody about it alongside you
3: thank you I loved it it was great another great week and we've got more exciting tennis next week in Cincinnati so I mean there's there's a whole heap of of more stories and matches to look forward to
0: yeah Lucy's been a great part of our team, so is Jill Kravis on the ground in Montreal, so let's check out some of the people Jill has spoken with throughout the week.
5: Okay, well, I'm in the back of the player lounge, and I'm pleased to be joined on HB Tennis Radio with Daniel Medvedev. Thank you so much for joining us.
4: Thank you for inviting me.
5: We played well today and had a great week last week in Washington, the finals, and also last month, first time in the top 10. So congratulations on that. Just explain a little bit what that feeling was for you.
4: Um, Actually, it was not something amazing, because, uh, well, it was coming, you know, if somebody would tell me one year ago that it would happen, then I would be probably uh, going crazy and saying, "No, it's not true, what are you talking about, but uh, it was coming, and (laughs) even many guys or, I don't know, physios were telling me, okay, uh, soon you're going to be top 10, how does it feel? So when it uh, became, especially after Wimbledon, which I could do better, so I was more disappointed about Wimbledon than becoming top 10. But uh, no, it's—I mean, it's actually still a dream come true, and uh, hard. I mean, the hard work that I have been doing for last uh, two years pays off, so I'm happy about it
5: yeah i was i was actually looking at your ranking breakdown and just consistently going up last fall i think first time top 20 now top 10. what has been the little differences for you
4: um as i say about two and a half years ago i will i dedicated my life to tennis i dedicated my life to tennis so that was the biggest change i made i think even though i was already top 100 but uh, i understood that to be even higher and to be where i want to i need to do it uh, and also for me, experience means a lot. So playing these tough opponents, tough tournaments, big matches, later rounds like uh, quarterfinals, semifinals, because that's where all the points are. Uh, I gained this experience by by just playing a lot of tournaments, and uh, now I feel more confident about it.
5: You now, when you say you dedicated your life to tennis, what exactly changed? Would you say
4: uh, everything? I mean. Uh, even, what was different even, from Even, let's before. say, uh, going to sleep earlier, let's say not at 3 a.m., but at midnight, which is still not amazing, but it's a, it's a big change. And uh, uh, basically, yeah, not going out or, or uh, practicing harder or, for example, I mean, I always practiced hard when I was practicing, yeah, but it's more about... Uh, the food before I could take uh, a bunch of desserts before the matches because well I like it and I didn't think it's gonna change anything and Still I cannot even say maybe it doesn't change anything, but I decided to try to build everything around me To be the best for tennis and it has worked out
5: and now um, like like we mentioned you in the top ten so now there's two Russians in the top ten hatching off course number eight and then of course there's also Rublev, who's now 70, but was high 31. So what does that mean for, for Russian tennis, for that rise again in the Russians? Yeah,
4: it's tough for me to talk about this because it's better for the Russian fans or even Russian uh, Tennis Federation to talk about it. Uh, me, I just hope that uh, what I'm doing on the court uh, please my, uh, my home uh, home fans. I hope that uh, when I will be playing uh, Moscow in St. Petersburg tournament, uh, me and Karin are going to be playing it. I hope that uh, there's going to be a lot of fun supporting us and uh, it's a great feeling because uh, you love your fans all over the world, but it's in Russia where uh, we feel the most, uh, I would say, satisfied about it.
5: And, so, and how often do you get to go home? Because I know you do training mostly in France, is that yeah, correct? I t- yeah, I
4: practice in France and I live in Monaco, so I don't go that often. I usually go if i have uh, really something uh, to do there like i don't know what but you know i don't know some small things uh, (laughs) i don't even know what i'm talking about
5: (laughs) It's okay take your time Uh, but
4: uh, for example after miami i just decided to spend like four or five days there without tennis because it's tough for me to practice uh, tennis in moscow Uh, and after i made a semis in monte carlo so it did work out great i still feel uh, really at home in Moscow and I feel uh, uh, the most calm there.
5: So what, what, like for example, when you take those four days off at home, what do you, what do, you do? How do you spend your time? Well,
4: first of all, I love uh, Russian food and actually not uh, the Russian food itself, like the native food, but I like the level of the cuisine. Or the how quality, or yeah, the yeah, quality? Yeah, the quality of the food is amazing in Moscow. Uh, for me, one of the best in the world. Uh, that's and I love food, so that's uh, the first <laughs> thing I do. I eat a lot. I eat a lot, uh, a lot of desserts, because uh, if I'm in Moscow, there is no tournament probably. Uh, and then, I mean, it's everything. It just feels home. Everybody speaks your language. Uh, you can finally watch TV, the TV shows you like, because they're all in Russian, and it just feels home.
5: And so, what, like, what, for example, the quality of the food? What, what would be a typical? Uh, dinner for you
4: I think uh, I love the most Italian food I need to say but after I like all the European food I would say the most I don't like too much uh, of crazy things so like Indian food I don't usually like it too much
5: I love okay. Indian. That's uh, what I was just saying. I was like, oh my God, that's one of my favorites. I was like, <laughs> that's I, I, say I was saying, No, you, no, no so, you're perfect. Yeah. I love Italian I too. I don't so. like
4: something crazy. Okay. And, uh, actually, Russian food is a little bit with a twist and that's why probably I don't like it that much. I like few things from it, but not uh, in general. Yeah.
5: And of course, um, as I mentioned, we're in the player lounge and I don't know if you can hear, but there's some players playing ping pong and there's a billiard table over there. Do you get involved in these activities in the player um, lounge while you're around?
4: I'm really bad at pool, but I like to play. it. <laughs> okay. And I am i think I'm quite average in ping-pong. Average means uh, not bad, not good, but...
5: Uh, oh, come I, on, all tennis players are pretty good in ping-pong. <laughs> uh, a yeah, little I mean, bit. Compa- <laughs> I,
4: I was comparing myself to other tennis players. Okay, but okay. They are better than me, okay. but I'm not the worst one. Uh, but I try not to play during the tournament because I have the feeling that my sensations go away with a smaller racket, so I don't play it uh, while I'm still in the tournament.
5: So speaking of the tournament, we are here in Montreal, I know you, you mentioned you train in the south of France, your coach is French. Do you feel somewhat at home here, this being a French city?
4: Actually kind of yes, which is surprising because you kind of get ready for a US Open series. Everybody speaking I uh, great English, you need to try to understand it because you have an accent, and then suddenly you come to a city where everybody speaks French, and it's especially the first days where I speak to my coach in the car, and then the driver starts answering, and I'm like, what?
5: Because of course you're fluent in French. Yeah,
4: yeah. Yes, i like, yes. I was talking to my coach, how, <laughs> how, how do you speak French, in my mind, but I know that, yeah. of course, everybody speaks French, but first two days, uh, you get used to it, and then, yeah, it feels kind of like France.
5: And so if I was going to ask you, ask your coach um, what he felt the difference was, or how has he made a difference for you in your game? I know you, I know, from your perspective you said what the difference was to get that top ten and to make that push. What has he helped you with the most, do you think?
4: Uh, first of all, we just have a great connection on and off the court. Uh, we really – it's not that we agree on all of things, but we agree on the uh, – I don't know how to call this feeling of life like we both have a thing inside us that every opinion is not sure so if I'm for example I I make an example if I meet this forehand he can tell me look I think you are late to touch the ball Uh, but he won't say it like Daniel I told you 100 times uh, you are late on this balls. he will say I think you are late but you know it's like he won't say it in a uh, in a tough way and uh, same in life, we discuss a lot of things, I mean we really get along with each other and that's the most important because I see himself probably much more than my wife and uh, I think it's the same for every tennis player so if you don't have a good connection it's just, it just won't uh, last long.
5: So open-minded I think, so yeah, you're we're like, both yeah, really open very minded. open-minded
4: and yeah we love, to lo- we, we love to laugh about many things and uh, it's just a great connection.
5: And how important is this for you to be able to talk about other things to maybe get your mind away from tennis occasionally? Do you think that helps you when you go on the court? Yeah, I
4: think it helps me a lot and especially I try to do it when uh, I have no tournaments because when I'm in the tournament I try to really focus on the matches, okay, what do I need to do to play better the next match? And of course when you have some weeks off, even weeks of practice, you try to practice well. But then. In the evening, you go uh, to the I don't know to have dinner, and uh, I play a lot of PlayStation because it really makes me feel relaxed and makes me feel a little bit, uh, I would say, further from tennis in a good way.
5: Did you, did you get involved in the Wasn't there a PlayStation at the player party? Yeah. Did you get in, involved I, in that? I
4: was in Washington. A, oh,
5: you were still um, in Washington, of I course. Was yes, 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 <laughs> I, of course. You were jealous maybe yeah. a little bit?
4: <laughs> I came to the hotel and I saw the invitation to a Saturday player party where uh, it was in <laughs> Ubisoft ha- headquarter. Actually, the game I play the most is uh, from Ubisoft. It's called Rainbow Six. And I was like, great for inviting me, guys. Thanks. This <laughs> was Monday already. Maybe
5: you can ask them to do it, do it at more, more player parties in the future. Uh, I'll ask, yeah. yeah. Daniel, I, I won't take more of your time, but really, congratulations on your win today. And also, congratulations to the top 10. And you hope, you, hope you hope can go even further. It's, it's been fun having you on ATP Tennis Radio. Thank you very much. Well, I'm here at the hotel, and I'm pleased to be joined by Liam Smith, coach of Gael Monfils. Liam, thanks so much for joining us on ATP Tennis Radio.
6: Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me.
5: First of all, I want to say thank you so much for putting in the effort you were the one that actually actually suggested because we met at the courts and you suggested why don't we just do it at the hotel which I don't get that offer very often so thank you
6: <laughs> yeah it's just it's easy here so yeah
5: I, and I caught you at the gym how was your workout
6: yeah it was good uh, yeah. getting old so I'm trying to, oh trying my to stay in shape uh, but it gets harder every year I feel like you
5: can't but. say that to me <laughs> <laughs> well let's talk about Gaia a little bit I know you have a lot of experience um, as a coach worked with the you were national coach for tennis australia also worked with albert and Barrancas for a little bit now of course with gail monfils just talk a little bit about um you know your experience as a coach and what you've learned over the years and you can bring to monfils game
6: yeah it's been an interesting journey for me because uh, i started pretty much working with uh you know junior level players and sort of Progressed all the way through the, the tennis journey in terms of uh, you know junior ITF or junior nationals junior ITFs futures challenges and uh, and so on so it 's been a, been uh, twenty years now um, so uh, lots of experience and I think as a coach uh, a lot of the time um, you learn the most from the mistakes that you make so in a way as I look back it 's always better to make mistakes when you're at a lower level than than make mistakes when you're at a, at, a, at a higher level in the game. So uh, I'm kinda grateful for the journey that I went on because it uh, it's, it's given me a lot of resources and, and learned a lot over the many years at the different levels to, to help me now.
5: Can you can you t- maybe touch on, give us a few examples of some of those mistakes that you felt like you really learned from?
6: Yeah, I mean, when, when you're a young coach, sometimes you, you, you're very eager and you wanna work really hard and you might overwork or you might uh, cause injuries or you might... Uh, you know, practice too much at the tournament or, uh, you know, small little things, schedule things, the arrival dates and departure dates wrong. And, um, you know, you, you do learn as you, as you grow as a player and a coach, you know, you, you often do make little mistakes and then you learn from them. And that's how you get better.
5: And then also starting from a junior level and working your way up to the pros, um, was that a, a big jump for you or uh, what is the jump from going from a junior to a pro level? What do you think the biggest difference is?
6: I mean, yeah, it's, it's interesting for me because I've actually had the journey quite a few times with, with some top-level juniors that have, have been really successful and obviously Brankis was one of them being number one junior in the world and then the transition to men's tennis is always an interesting one. Uh, for me, I feel like it's, uh, a lot of it is physical and mental um, and uh, I think as well the juniors... Uh, the junior ranking system is very different for the ITFs and I'm not sure the national different countries have different systems but in the ITF it's only six tournaments so it's very different than the, the system that you have at the pro level and I think uh, the young players when they're very good if you're a top level top ten or a number one junior you're used to winning almost all the matches that you play um, and even if you're, if you're a very high level junior you start to play futures you often have a good win-loss ratio. And then when you step up to, say, challenger level, starting on the ATP tour, you, you have to sort of keep your confidence through more losses because you're going to lose matches because you're playing a more experienced player, you're playing a physically stronger player, or a, a player that maybe just has a little bit of a bigger game than you because you're still developing. And I think uh, one of the biggest things for me was trying to help the, the young players to... Stick to their core values and stick to their game and just look at how can they continue to improve to bridge the gap and not lose their confidence because they suddenly start to take more losses than than they were used to the previous years
5: And, and i'm glad you brought up Branki actually because um, you know you, you mentioned he was number one in the world as a junior and he 's had great success but hasn 't um, quite gotten into the you know the, the top or where other juniors that have been number one have won grand slams what What do you feel like? That difference is like for for him in particular let's say or for other juniors that haven't made that jump
6: yeah I mean obviously it can be a lot of things I mean there's uh, you can have uh, injuries you can have uh, things with confidence you can have things within your game Um, Richard I guess the obvious one is is his size you know uh, he was incredibly solid as a junior and he was an incredibly hard worker and we always try to put a lot of emphasis on him having a good serve. So he's actually got quite a big and good serve for his size. As uh, yeah, I think the, he's
5: super talented. He's super talented yeah. and,
6: uh, and he's, uh, he's got an f- amazing backhand and he really has one of the best serves on the tour for a guy his size. But I think that for me the obvious one is, um, is the size. You know, I take for example, he played orange ball final, he beat Grigor Dimitrov quite comfortably. Um, But Grigor didn't have his full game that he has now in terms of the weapons. His serve was good, but it wasn't as good. It wasn't as big. He didn't have as big a game. And I think that's part of the the issue. Um, And then, yeah, you could could look at lots of other things, but that's the obvious one. Um, So, yeah, I I hope for him he can continue to go higher. I think he's been around 50. um, And I know he's had some injury issues as well. And I I just hope that he can... uh, maybe climb towards 30 or, or higher I mean he's definitely got the ability
5: yeah I mean um, I always thought he was always one that I always really thought was so much fun yeah, watching yeah it seems that way yeah um, yeah really
6: nice guy yeah and, uh, yeah I've known him since he's uh, 13 or 14 years old so. yeah
5: and, and we mentioned super talented as well another super talented one is the gentleman you're working with now yes that's <laughs> been a lot of talk about Gail Monfils. Um, just talk about how that partnership came about. I know you meant, we, meant we were just talking a little bit off air and you mentioned that you actually had previously worked with him a little bit in 2017 was where it started.
6: Yeah, well, I've known him for a very long time, going back to when literally when he was a junior. Because uh, I used to work with some uh, American kids that were the same age and played, uh, played matches against him, practiced with him when they were juniors. And obviously Gail was, was a standout junior as well. Um, and then um, when he would come to Australia sometimes I'd get some Australian juniors that I was working with to warm him up for matches or practice with him and um, we actually bumped into each other in the Whole Foods in Miami in about 2015 after I'd left Tennis Australia and uh, and moved back to Miami and sort of reconnected a bit there and when I was coaching Radu Albot uh, we would practice together in our pre-seasons in Miami in December and had a lot of really good uh, training sessions and uh, his former coach, Mikhail Tilstrom, is a, is a friend of mine as well. And uh, we started to do some work together at the end of 2017. Um, Michael wasn't able to travel as much and uh, Gail needed some help for his preseason. He'd been injured actually with a a problem with his knee and his quad, missed about four or five months and uh, of the, from the US Open to the end of the season in 2017. And we spent uh, three or four weeks working in Miami uh, just to sort of rehab his injury, rebuild his body, and just start to work more on his game. And um, we sort of maintained a stronger relationship from from then on. And uh, I would help him here and there when I could. But I was still um, full-on, full-time with Radu Alba and Matt Ebden at the time. So um, we, you know, I just helped when I could, and uh, we went from there.
5: And, and for knowing him for so long and for seeing him so develop over the years, um, now that you've ha- now that you're actually working with him full time, did you have a clear vision for a while for exactly what you wanted what you wanted to do with him once you started full time?
6: Yeah, I, I mean, we we did a lot of work uh, that previous preseason on some areas of his game that I felt like he needed to continue to develop, and and along with Michael, and um, you know it was a fairly smooth transition for me because obviously I knew. Uh, Michael well, I knew what they were working on, I knew Gail and what his goals were, so it was a fairly smooth transition to, to start with him. For me I wanted him to be more aggressive than, than he was uh, previously. I feel like he has to use his, uh, his speed and his movement and his athleticism to be as if not more offensive than defensive. Um, I, think he's the, I think he's the fastest in the world, to be honest um and his defensive capabilities are amazing but uh, sometimes uh, he'll be in neutral situations and he'll choose the defensive side rather than look to to maybe create something more himself and be more aggressive so that's definitely an area that we've we focused on a lot and and he 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 agrees and he wants to do that as well and obviously he's getting older so he, you know if you can p- finish points in three four five shots instead of eight nine ten it's obviously over the, the course of a year it makes a difference on your body um, as well. So.
5: And so how, how tough exactly is that a transition, do you think, from, from someone that knows that they can rely on their movement so well, to be able to change that so quickly into an offensive position?
6: It's not easy because obviously um, he has a lot of confidence and he knows that he can outlast certain people, he can stay in points longer. Um, but I think uh, when you look at uh, trying to be back at the very top of the game and um, and go even further than he's gone before, and and win bigger titles, he, he has to be a little bit more aggressive because you can't necessarily, you know, outgrind Novak from the baseline, you can't necessarily, you know, outlast Rafa on a clay court always, so you've got to be willing to, to step up and use a little bit more firepower, and, and he has it, that's the thing, he has a huge serve, he has a massive forehand, uh, his backhand is, uh, is a, a lot better than sometimes he even will give himself credit for, so, it's, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's exciting to, to think what he can do.
5: Well, I, he, he of course won Rotterdam this year and I wanted to say congratulations on that and also getting him back into the top 20 um, after that tournament, so congratulations. Is that something you felt like he, he did really well in Rotterdam was to be yeah. more aggressive?
6: Yeah, he played, uh, he played a really good period actually. He was playing well at the Australian Open and uh, he ran into Taylor Fritz and, um, Taylor served uh, incredibly well that day and played, you know, credit, played a really great match and, and, and sort of surprised us a little bit with, with that, f- you know, f- four sets win. And um, But I felt like he was playing really good tennis and he went to Sofia, he played some really good tennis, um, beat Sissipas there and um, played Medvedev in the semis and was kind of building on the work we did in the preseason and... Yeah, in Rotterdam, it really came together. He uh, he played really aggressive. He played really well. He played all the big points with a slightly more aggressive mindset. And, uh, and it was really good. And then he continued that in Dubai and continued that in Indian Wells. And then he started to have a little issue with his Achilles, uh, which slowed us down again. And then we... Basically missed a few events and and he lost a little bit of momentum during that period. Yeah,
5: I remember he pulled out of Indian Wells. I think yeah. with the that was the was at the Achilles as well. It was the Achilles was yeah, the quarterfinal
6: right before the match right. with Dominic and he couldn't uh, he couldn't play that one. So that was you know that was tough because he was playing very well and he would have had a reasonably good chance there. So
5: yeah, and I know and I was reading some of the and another another article that I read and one of the things that, was one of your goals was to keep him healthy and also focused and, and motivated, and um, I think that's one of the things that we notice sometimes in in some of his matches is that he can occasionally lose focus. I think just because just of such the natural talent that comes to him so easily.
6: Yeah, he he's yeah he's got a lot of ability and he's got a lot of flair and skills and he can he can do a lot of things. So. You know, he always says, and you probably heard him say it, that he plays tennis first of all because he enjoys it and he wants to almost entertain himself and have a good time on the court. So sometimes he can he can get into that mode a little bit, and uh, you know, there's some good things about that, but then there's some areas sometimes where he can just have a little dips in the level or losses of concentration. Uh, so we've just been working on trying to play every point a little bit more focused and with a higher intensity, and uh, try to get him to um, just enjoy doing the simple things well
5: are are there certain things that you that you any particular things that you work on to to get that focus I mean I know it's not an easy thing to do but any um little tricks or tactics that you use to or things that you tell him
6: um, Uh, a lot of it is just uh Reminding himself to focus point by point and keep the intensity the same, and, and fight and battle for every point, not to, not to take a break or a breather. Um, there's other things that you know we've we've done off the court where he's had to concentrate, where he's done physical exercises, and then he has to do something that involves more focus or concentration when he's he's tired. We did some stuff with boxing and different things to help with that, which was fun too. Um, and I'm glad he concentrated, so I didn't take any
3: punches myself. So. <laughs> he
7: didn't miss the
3: uh, he didn't miss the glove or the, the target.
6: That's
5: important. That's
3: very important.
5: <laughs> Need the coach around?
3: Yeah, that's it.
6: Yeah, self-preservation.
5: <laughs> so, so boxing is one of the things that you, do, you sometimes you'll do off-court.
6: Yeah, we just did a we we had some fun with it. He likes boxing and. Uh, He's a, he's a fan and enjoys it and uh, we did some physical workouts because uh, obviously the intensity is quite high so yeah we did a lot of physical workouts in the preseason where uh, he would do some some uh, interval based lifting or power exercises and then he had to do a series of uh, boxing uh, choreographs or uh, you know hit certain targets at a certain at a high rate so it involves a lot of concentration so. Bit of uh, mixing it up, cross-training, interval training-based stuff. Uh, are are it was there, fun too.
5: Yeah, I mean that sounds fun to me. But um, are there uh, are there other interests that he has off the court?
6: Oh, uh, we'd we have a lot. Uh, yeah, a lot. It's gonna be a long conversation. <laughs> yeah, it's a long conversation. <laughs> yeah, he has a lot of interest. Just
5: give us a few examples, maybe besides boxing.
6: Oh, he's a very, crea- very creative, uh, very artistic, very creative. Loves music. Um, Does he play an instrument? He's very good at uh, DJing and setting up different things digitally and uh, different okay. things with music. Um, has he ever wanted to do dancing, that out? obviously. Oh, he's dancing, yeah. He likes to dance and yeah. uh, has lots of uh, tricks and things, so. <laughs> yeah, lots of, lots of interest. He's a, uh, people don't realize, but he's an expert in uh, Swiss watches or watches in general and watchmaking. And uh, he has uh, quite a lot of involvement in that and an amazing amount of uh, knowledge of, uh, of the products so. so
5: involvement meaning does he like actually get in there and try and learn yeah, how he, to no,
6: he's a judge for uh, the, one of the swiss watchmaking industry oh, okay. when they do different awards and prizes how for, cool uh, is that New released uh, products and things like that yeah
5: okay that's pretty cool yeah it's very cool yeah so it's, yeah uh, and a it's lo- an
6: unusual interest that you I know, that's expect, we, that's yeah. know that's what we that's what
5: we want to know that's what we want to know i know i feel like i want to d- dig deeper so boxing <laughs> dancing Digital watches that he's judging.
6: No, the, uh, the, the, um, oh, sorry, the Swiss, Swiss watches. Uh, Swiss watches, oh, not so digital, yeah. Not digital, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah the yeah, yeah. the Swiss- traditional style
5: yeah, of watchmaking, got it. yeah. Got it. Is he, would he ever consider designing his own?
6: Maybe, yeah. I mean, uh, why not? Uh, I don't know. You'd, you'd have to ask him that. I'm sure it would be interesting, that's yeah, for sure. Yeah,
5: that would be interesting. So, with how creative a person he is, is that something, and we've seen how creative he can be on the court as well, is that something that's difficult? to sort of manage for you as his coach
6: yeah it's uh look it's uh it it's it's better to have those abilities than not have them so i think it's just a question of trying to get him to maintain his focus on he's out there to win the match you can be entertaining and you can you can have a good time doing it but you want to find a way to win the match and and sometimes uh just to take more pleasure in the in the more simple things uh, and yeah, as a coach, sometimes you have to sit there and you just smile because he, he hits a shot that maybe you don't necessarily approve of it, but he pulls it off or he does something spectacular. And um, there's been a few times in t- intense moments in matches where uh, he's come up with something almost crazy, but it's, uh, it's relaxed him and I've realized that it's actually made him play better for the, for the next 20-minute period because it happened. So... Um, you know you have to be quite uh, adaptive and understanding of that as well and, and have fun with it to a certain degree
5: yeah of course and he did say um i read liam gives me a lot and it gives me clear plans on the court can you tell us what those plans are <laughs> yeah i mean
6: i guess there's a lot of people doing it these days i, I try to, to to spend enough a lot of time looking at all the different stats and uh get some information from hawkeye and uh look at a lot of video of opponents and just try to figure out uh, what's going to be the most effective uh, strategy and what to do uh, on the court and and also to try to help Gale to be more efficient so that he can win more matches in straight sets and and put less pressure on his body and sometimes one little bit of tactical information here or there or just executing something a little bit better in important moments can make a difference. So I try to um, do a lot of research and analysis and then give him a a very simple, basic uh, strategy to follow, and, uh, and he's actually been really good at doing, at sticking to that, and um, yeah, I was quite impressed a few times how, uh, how disciplined he was in, able, in being able to keep to that, um, so yeah, it's, it's something that's been quite good.
5: Great. Well, Liam, thank you so much. Again, I'm so grateful for you being no, willing to do uh, this. I appreciate it.
6: It's, it's great, and it's, uh, it's great to see you here at the tournament and, and doing this, and uh, Oh, it's it's good that the ATP have the have the radio and everything is uh, yeah it's great
5: yeah it's fun but yeah. thank you and best of luck to you guys I ho- thank I hope, you I hope it goes well yeah yeah
6: it's uh, gonna be a, a fun week I'm yeah. sure yeah
5: thank you.
0: Jill Krabis, you heard those chats with Daniel Medvedev, the runner-up here in Montreal, and Liam Smith, the coach of Gael Monfils, who was a semifinalist, but was unable to go in that match against Rafael Nadal. If you want to hear those interviews again, or any of the other interesting interviews, we aired on ATP Tennis Radio. Check out our exclusives channel. Just search for ATP Tennis Radio on TuneIn, and you can find those interviews right there. We've also got Mike Cation on the ground in Cincinnati, ahead of the Western and Southern Open, and he had a couple of interesting conversations in his ATP Tennis Radio debut. He spoke with Jamie Murray, and
7: first of all, he spoke with the American number one, John Isner. John, it's great to talk to you. Um, I, I saw you had some ice yeah. on your knee. How are you feeling, first off?
1: Yeah, you know, I, I feel fine. You know, there's just a few things that pop up here and there, and I'm a fan of putting ice on something that I think is maybe a little bit inflamed, but it, I'm fine. It's just uh, it's all precautionary stuff, and excited to get going here in cincinnati
7: don't take this the wrong way as somebody who is older than you john but uh you know the body changes as you get a little bit older i, I think that's the big question everybody has and how's the foot everything
1: yeah. is is fine after a few few months out here yeah the, the foot feels fine i think i'm very confident that my foot is 100 percent healed um, it took a while to get yeah. to 100 percent. took every bit of two and a half three months which was a very long time with the foot injury it was I was really handcuffed as to what I could do. I couldn't put any weight on my foot, so I couldn't really work out, couldn't really rehab, rehab this injury. The only the best thing I could do was just simply rest. So since I've come back, I've, I've been a work in progress, and I feel like I'm getting back to my, to my top level.
7: I know you are obviously you've been around for, for some time. You understand the idea of results will come, Yeah, um, but that is also very difficult in the, in the short term. It is. Um, so how have you balanced that yourself?
1: That's a fantastic question because I think any player will tell you at certain times in, in their career, and me especially, you unfortunately sometimes put the results ahead of the process. And it is kind of cliche, but you just have to trust that as long as you're doing the right stuff on the court, on the practice court, in the gym, off the court, the results will come. And that's what I've been telling myself ever since I've gotten back from this injury. I did have a great tournament in, in Newport win, winning that. But, you know, coming back on the hard courts, uh it's been not so great. Obviously, I haven't played too many tournaments, but I do feel like I'm capable of playing a better tennis ahead. So how do you
7: balance that in terms of building towards the U.S. Open? Obviously, that's the big jewel. Yeah. Um, how, how do you balance that? How have you found it uh, over the last couple of weeks?
1: Yeah, well, it's it's, it's been, um, as I said, I'm not exactly where, where I want to be right now. Yeah. But, again, I just have to stay patient and stay focused and you know the main goal for me is to to not beat myself on the court and that's by maybe losing it mentally or not being as focused or not competing as 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 good as I can on the court that's those are the things I can control Um, try to control those to the best of my ability and and see what happens after that if I get beat you know too good Um, I can I can live with that and I can go to sleep and sleep well that night but if I beat myself those are the matches where you have a hard time um you know, getting good rest that night because you're just you 're just thinking about what you should have done better so as we 're walking
7: up, um, a player asks uh, about uh, you warming them up tomorrow because they play Riley Opelka, yeah, um, what has that relationship been like after another tough one for you in in Atlanta
1: yeah well, yeah, I mean Riley and I are are great friends, and you know we've played a bunch this year three times already, and we've played ten tiebreakers, and that 's you know of course going to happen when a guy like myself and him square off and yeah. you know, we have two arguably the best serves in the game and uh, we both hold serve probably better than anyone in tennis so when you play each other it's inevitably going to be uh, a close match and he's gotten the better of me uh, this year that's for sure but he's a great player and a, and a good friend of mine and I think he's got a great future ahead of him. He, no doubt.
7: he came out against being called a serve bot and said it was lazy journalism, I believe, when he did okay, a press I conference that, yeah. in, in Atlanta. And I'm I'm wondering what you think of that. Um, I know it's obviously a label that, that's surrounded you for so long, but he was
1: very much pushing back against that. And I wonder what you think of that. Uh, we do uh, what we do well. Um, we have certainly some gifts that we take advantage of on the court, and we work as hard as we possibly can at working on, on, on our weaknesses. But as I said, there are certain advantages to being very tall as a tennis player, and there are certain disadvantages, disadvantages as well. So everyone's different. I think that's what makes uh, this sport so beautiful. You have guys that are really small and really fast, and you have guys that are really big and maybe not so fast. In that regard, it seems like that's something you can impress on younger players, just
7: accentuate your strengths. Yeah. Um, And and that's something that I think is lost on a lot of players who maybe spend a little bit too much time focusing on their weaknesses as opposed to accentuating their strengths. Do you think that's something that needs to be utilized a little bit more by younger players?
1: No, I think for sure. I think working on your strengths on the practice court is always a good thing. I think you're going to get a lot of practice working on your weaknesses in matches because players are going to try to exploit that. And the best way to work on your weaknesses is by playing matches and getting in that, uh, getting in that mode where players are trying, are, are, are trying to, uh, to attack you in that fashion. So again, working on strengths, I'm a big believer of that.
7: You obviously, uh, there were lots of articles when you were out with the foot injury about spending time with your daughter um, and your wife at home. Um, and now you're a little bit more time away. And I'm interested in how that transition has been for you over the last few weeks, the last month or so since you've been on the road almost exclusively.
1: Well, they've they've actually been on the road with me, so uh, it is a little different, though. You it know, is it yeah. is very different. You're right, but that's you're right. I'm not with them all the time. Of course, I have to come to the courts and practice, and I have to play my matches. And you know, unfortunately, my my wife doesn't get to watch um, all the matches. If mm-hmm. I play at night, you know, she's got to sleep. Right. And as you know, uh, our life revolves around. Her schedule, her morning nap, her afternoon nap, and the time she goes to bed yeah. and everything in between is all hands on deck and trying to entertain her and just having the best time possible, but you know when i 'm away from my wife and baby she 's doing it all so i have an in- I have an incredibly supportive wife, and I think that 's very 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 important and her number one job right now is is raising our daughter and she 's doing a great job. you miss out on things, however um, so what how, how have you tried to make sure that you're not
7: missing really important milestones
1: well fortunately technology is amazing in in that regard she's sending um, lots of cute videos and pictures of course and keeping in touch with my parents and sending them to her parents as well but look when I'm away from the courts and uh, you know away from the facility I'm with them and I'm trying to soak in those moments as much as I possibly can do you still
7: get the same tingle the same nerves uh, coming to a master series event
1: yeah, you do actually. I mean, everyone wants to do well at, at an event like this and you know, I just remember maybe even being more nervous now than I was at the very very beginning. Um when I first turned pro, maybe didn't have many expectations at all. And of course there's expectations for everyone and that can, you know, put pressure on yourself and then in turn, you know, you know, create create some nerves, but it's about handling those situations well and I think I've been able to do that. Uh, pretty well over the years because I'm, at this point, very experienced.
7: It's, I, I remember those days, uh, fresh out of college back in 07, 08, yep. and just how immediate of the impact uh, was. When you see some younger players now who are starting to have that immediate impact at the age of 17, Felix, and mm-hmm. I saw Yannick Sinner last week um, in Lexington, Kentucky. What are your words for them in, in terms of how to advise them of, of having immediate success and how to balance that with, with life?
1: Well, I don't know because I didn't have I didn't have success at 18 years old. That's um, right, you were off. Yeah, dollars. and I, I can, I think, speak for Felix pretty well. I think he's handling it well right now, <laughs> and I think he will handle that very well going forward as well. Because there's going to be a lot of expectations and a lot of pressure on him to do well. But look, I think he's mature beyond his years. I think he definitely realizes that. You know, his best tennis is probably six years ahead of him. And so he has this very long runway, and I don't think he's putting too much pressure on himself. He's a he's one kid that's uh, incredibly talented incredibly nice, and our sport in general is very lucky to have him. We're going to have him for a very long time. Well, how much time is left in your runway? Good question. You know, <laughs> as, look, as long as I'm still playing and playing well and, and ranked high, I've been ranked high for a very long time now, you know, if, if I'm – you know, top 20 in the world two years from now, I'm still going to be out here, but I'm, I don't want to be uh, playing professional tennis if I'm not, if I can't compete like I have been the, 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 the last 10 years or so. Uh, very happy with what I've done with my career and I want to be able to walk out uh, certainly on, on my terms.
7: The question I always have is, is is it fun for you still? I mean, there, the, the laborious tasks that you have to take care of, but it's still fun for
1: you. Very good question. Again, it is fun for me. The You know, practice and warming up for practice takes a lot longer now. I mean, I'd be lying to you if I told you that I loved every moment of of practice now. Uh, I do enjoy practice, but sometimes, as you said, it does get laborious, and it's something that you have to take care of no no matter what. But I think the most important thing is I'm still enjoying competing on the match court as much as I possibly can. And I I do love the process, the practice. I love going in the gym. I love keeping myself fit. And I want to um, maybe sort of uh, defy a lot of the naysayers that think that maybe I can't maybe do this for uh, a few more years. But I believe I can. I think that's the most important thing. As long as I have that determination and self-belief that I can keep playing high level tennis for a long time, I'm gonna keep going after it.
7: Sitting in the player's lounge, and I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by Jamie Murray. And uh, Jamie, you are now partnered with Neil Skupski. Um, the, the real question is how, how does he get his hair as perfect as he does? <laughs> every single day, even after he's been in a match for a couple of hours. Yeah, he, uh,
8: he works hard on the hair front, yeah. He's never uh, never leaving the change rooms without you know, putting on the product or at least checking it in the, in the mirror to see if, it's, uh, see if it's on point. So I think I've got a, got a lot to live up to in that state. <laughs> um, when last ATP Radio got
7: to talk to you, it was about when you, you were launching your YouTube channel. Yeah, okay, and, yeah. and I'm uh, interested in how it's
8: developed over the last, say, four months. Um, I mean, I think it's. I mean, I think it's gone pretty well. I Had a lot of good feedback from it. Um, got quite a few sort of instructional videos and stuff up now. I've been getting released every every Monday. Um, obviously, did a sort of documentary style type thing through through the grass court season. Um, I mean, I don't know how how to sort of gauge the sort of success of it um i mean it's only kind of been going out based on like sort of my followers through social media i guess so i think it's done okay um i'm enjoying doing it and i think it's quite a quite a cool thing to do and you know we'll keep trying to put up um put as much sort of content as we as we can over the the, well certainly the rest of the season anyway and see if it gets uh gets the traction that we that we want it to get
7: yeah what is the goal for you at this point especially now that you've had a, a few months of doing it
8: i don't i don't really know what the goal <laughs> is now with it just um put out the material try to put out good material that people will find interesting or relevant or hopefully that will will help them in their in their doubles games and um yeah see if it, see if it takes off if people like it great if they don't then that's fine as well
7: it doesn't really matter to you necessarily if there's a, a certain number of likes or monetizing no, not, it or anything no, along those think,
8: lines I don't think so no I mean the good thing like is with the YouTube platform is that it's, it's free for everyone right. right and you know people people can learn at their own pace and their own time and um, I guess that's that's the beauty of, uh, of, of YouTube I guess um, but yeah I mean I'm not really like looking too far ahead with it or kind of I need to hit this many viewership or subscribers or whatever. Just see where, see what happens with it, and it might be it might be something that builds slowly over over time.
7: You've obviously just started working. We tease Neil Skupsky all the time about his hair, but it's obviously yeah. a, a relatively new partnership for you. Um, how is it progressing? Especially, he took a month off for World Team Tennis.
8: Yeah. So we. Uh, we played obviously the grass tournaments we played three tournaments on the grass and then we played last week so we've only played four tournaments so um, I guess it hasn't necessarily been like amazing results of that but we, uh, we were a bit unfortunate when we were in we played um, a really good match on the first day um, it was a bit unfortunate not to finish the match that day and then we ended up coming back the next day and, and ended up losing and those guys went on and had a great tournament so that was that was unfortunate um, last week we we lost to a tough team in the first round again. So um, you know, hoping for obviously better here. But I think like partnerships can take time to to develop it, and um, you know, kind of find our I don't know. I guess maybe like our mojo, or find that you know what what works for us going going forward. And um, I think also it's been quite stop start as well, just with like team tennis For example, we finished Wimbledon, and then. You know, we didn't see each other for probably like a month after yeah. that so uh and then last week we obviously we had kind of like one practice then we went and played the match so um uh, i guess for preparation that's probably not quite ideal but you know now like you know there's no kind of um breaks of that for us now like we'll we'll be stuck into the tournaments practicing together obviously playing the playing the events and um yeah, hopefully, can get some form going.
7: You guys are both um, sets of brothers, and, and obviously, the Duszkowski's have played together for quite a, a long period of time. I, I know, having talked to Neil previously, that it seems like it was a good situation that Ken had to, do, you know, spend some more time with his family. But how's that relationship been uh, with the brothers?
8: I mean, fine. I think. I mean, it was obviously. <laughs> I'm sure it was. You know, it wasn't an easy situation for them, and I think Ken was. Um, was really great about us teaming up, and I think he thought it was a great opportunity for for Neil. I'm not sure how much, you know, how many more years he was necessarily gonna gonna keep playing. And I think, um, yeah, I think he he realised it was a good chance for for Neil to keep keep progressing like he's done over the last sort of two or three years. But yeah, I mean, I think things have been fine. I mean, I, like I've known Ken since we were like 12, 13 right. years old. So. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, as far as I'm aware, it's, things are cool, yeah.
7: My colleague, Jill Krabis, last week uh, talked to Louis Cahier uh, just about British doubles in, in general. Yeah. Can you t- really kind of explain the impact that he has had on not necessarily yourself, but the entire British community in, in terms of the double specialists?
8: Yeah, so, I mean, he he's obviously been in the UK for, I'm going to say, like, 13, 14 years now. Um, I'm probably working within the British Tennis, within the Federation for probably like 12. Um, and, you know, he obviously has his philosophy that he um, that he believes in when it comes to, to doubles, to the doubles game and how best to, or, or you know, or how effective that can be. And, you know, he teaches that to... You know, to all the all the British players, so we kind of have our system that we that we like to play. Um, he's obviously an incredible coach at skill development as well, which I think is quite unique actually. And on 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 the tour, um, and you know, pretty much everyone that he's worked with has has got better, and you know, has achieved you know career high rankings and things like that. And obviously now, in the last sort of year or so, he's managed to bring through probably like four or five more guys and you know i'm not sure exactly what the ranking situation is now but you know at one stage we had like eight guys in the top 50 which was um which is pretty amazing and um you know those guys i'm sure like if they continue to work hard and stuff they'll you know they'll play at the top for you know the next five ten years probably because they have the the level they have the, the skills to be able to do that
7: we here in the states you know most of the attention is played paid to the singles guys with the incredible success you guys have on the double side does the British press pick up on that as much as, as you might think
8: um, for me as a, as a doubles player that's always kind of been an issue that you know the singles obviously gets the gets the majority of the of the limelight I feel like you know, doubles is a different game. It's a different skill set required to be successful on the on the tour. Um, and I think it um, can definitely play a bigger role than perhaps it does currently on the on the tour. And you know, s- certainly the fan base of it is, has grown like immensely since certainly since I first started playing on the tour, like in two thousand and seven. Um, you know and people people enjoy it like because it is different to singles it's also what they play at home so right. they can kind of relate to that a bit better and i think people like the fact that it's you know it's fast there's all these crazy reactions um volleying dynamic as well which you know you don't obviously really get in a singles game nowadays that's kind of gone away from from the game a bit um and also you know you get all the teamwork and communication and that sort of aspect of it as well and you know I think if it came down to it, people like if, play, if fans had the chance to see like four top players on the court they'd rather see four top players than two right it's more, more exciting so when I think like those top singles guys do come and play in, the, in a doubles event like that gets really well, uh, well attended and that's good for our game as well
7: yeah it seems like there's been a renaissance of doubles this year in, in terms of the fan interest much more so than it has been even in the last three years I
8: mean, maybe I think, like it, it's just, for me, it's just growing all the time. Like, it's certainly with you know tennis TV, the all the Masters being being on tennis TV, and then obviously the local TV channels are able to take those matches in if they want because they're being filmed. So, you know, doubles is a lot more um, accessible to to fans of where it wasn't at all in the in the past. So that's obviously made a made a huge difference um, and. I think the, the ATP is doing a much better job of kind of promoting the double, promoting the players, um, and, you know, it all kind of it all adds up, I think.
7: Yeah. Mike Cation joined here for just a couple more minutes with Jamie Murray, and, and obviously, Jamie, the big story here in Cincinnati is, is your brother's return. Um, what's that been like for you uh, to experience what, what he's kind of seen through this week?
8: Um, i mean i'm like i'm excited for him i mean he's had uh you know a long time off been through the through the ringer a bit and obviously ended up getting his getting the surgery done and you know obviously didn't know what was going to be possible at that stage because nobody had really done that before and then come back to play singles um so he didn't really have much to to go on but he's obviously you know he's done all his rehab he's done all his you know strength tests and everything and um, he's yeah got the green light. He feels good to get out there and, and compete again. And I think obviously if he wanted to try to play at U.S. Open, then you know he needs to obviously play a tournament beforehand to see what, see where his levels at. And I I guess also physically to see if it's going to be possible because that's obviously five sets as well. So uh, I'm excited to see him back play. Really happy for him to get to be able to get back out on the, on the court and. Um, yeah it'll be a good uh, good match tomorrow i think
7: I, I imagine there's also a part of you as a family member that is just concerned about how the body will hold up in singles
8: not really to be honest. I think with the surgery that he's had like he's basically it's not like he's going to be in pain, so you know you don't have to really worry about that i think I guess it's more just for him if he feels like he's going to get the level of movement back that he had when he when he was you know the, at the peak of his his career and I guess for him like the movement's such a big aspect of his game it's so important to him um you know and I guess you know you know if you lose 5% 10% of that that's a, that's huge um you're putting yourself at a huge disadvantage against the guys that are out there playing on on uh on 100% fitness but I think he's uh I think he's doing good I'm really interested to see how he gets on um yeah, excited to watch the match. Do you still get excited
7: for these uh, Masters events? I mean, does it still have that same butterfly f- in your stomach? Yeah, yeah,
8: for me, I mean, like, you know, these are the biggest events we have on our tour, and you know, I want to come here and get to compete against all the other best doubles players in the world, best doubles teams, best singles players, um, and that's what's exciting for me. Like, That's why I train to, to come and play in these uh, these sort of events, so yeah, I think you know, as long as I'm playing, like, and I'm still able to play the big, the big events, these are the ones that get you the most motivated. At least until the YouTube channel has. Millions yeah, of yeah, content. yeah, exactly. I mean, <laughs> yeah, had to play for a long, long, it, more time. It is, <laughs> it is
7: absolutely remarkable to me to see people just making that much money off of YouTube, though, in terms of the ads and the subscribers and things of that nature.
8: It's yeah. Fascinating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a different. Um, yeah, it's, it's a different generation that we're living in, isn't it? Yeah. Do you
7: ever look at some of those? People who play video games, playing Fortnite and and things, and just see how much money they're... Yeah, well, I saw
8: that the person who won the Fortnite the other day won, like, $3 million million. for it. He's, like, a 15-, 16-year-old kid, so... What, what are we doing here? Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> I should be back in my hotel room, go buy a PlayStation or something and start uh, start <laughs> practicing.
7: It's always good to see you. A smile on your face, too. Uh, man, you uh, got a got Big a W win today, today, yeah. yeah. Start
8: the season, yeah. 4-0 four, four against Chelsea, yeah. So. It's always a good day.
7: Yeah. <laughs> Jamie Murray, it's really been a delight, and I really appreciate your time.
8: No, no, that's all right. Thanks, mate.
0: Mike Cation already in position in Cincinnati at the Western and Southern Open, and we are in position to bring you every point of the Masters event in Cincinnati. Our live coverage begins 30 minutes before play on Monday. It's the seventh Masters event of the year. It sees the return of the world number one Novak Djokovic. It sees the return of Roger Federer. First time both of them have been on the court since they squared off in that epic Wimbledon final. And for the first time since the Australian Open, We will see Andy Murray in the singles. We've got all of that action on ATP Tennis Radio. That begins, as we said, 30 minutes before the start of play Monday and each day of the Western and Southern Open. But for now, this has been the ATP Tennis Radio podcast. If you like this podcast, please search the iTunes
3: store for ATP Tennis Radio to leave a review. Review.